Welcome to Wine Time with the Wine Swine, the podcast version. Today I'll be talking to a very good friend of mine, someone who I'm very lucky to have in my life and who probably has more responsibility for this here podcast happening than anyone other than myself. You see, Jan Hugel is something of an accidental mentor to me when it comes to low intervention wine, wine in general even. Jan and I have known each other for quite a long time, and he took an interest in my love of wine quite early on because, little did I know, he was on his way to becoming pretty much synonymous with natural wine in Berlin. Jan very often questioned why I liked what I did, what I liked about it, and whether or not he could get me to try and appreciate things that I was staunchly opposed to. And he never did this in a way that was any less than respectful of both my opinions and uh, even when my opinions were kind of stupid. Anyway, Jan was priming the engine for the whole time, getting me ready for that moment when I tried the wine or wines that would completely change the way I thought about them and introduced me to this whole vast new world that I now try very hard to bring to others. Someday, though we have very different things that we look for in a wine and very different kinds of wine that we would probably like to make ourselves, I hope to run or work in a vineyard together with him. Without further ado, Jan Hugel. What's up with your hat? No hat? No. You said it's not going to happen. Look, just for you, now I'm wearing a silly straw hat. Uh, you can feel like you're being interviewed by somebody who uh, cares about this. So basically the three questions that I'm going to ask everybody are, what is natural wine to you, a.k.a. what does the term natural wine actually mean? Uh, you know, this is a very open-ended question, and people tend to have a different sort of view of uh, of how it should be answered. And so keeping in mind that, as I said, this is the first episode, and um, definitely there's going to be a lot of people I'm inviting who probably have very, very limited experience. Uh, it's an interesting question because uh, it obviously comes up at any point when people are talk about natural wine um i'll give you a very simple answer there's no definition of natural wine uh nothing uh, that is written down in any country that uh, defines or specifies what natural wine is to me natural is something i first and foremost don't really talk about i talk about i talk about wine I don't want to naturally or necessarily um, put term natural too much up front when I drink wine and I have people try the wines. Um, it's nothing completely new. When it comes down to what is already existing in the in the existing world, then to me natural is is done in a way where in the field in the vineyard um, people work um, organically. But you mean, uh, let's be a little bit specific about this. You mean not necessarily according to the organic rules of a country, but like actually not using anything. Or it's good that you asked this question. I was gonna, I was gonna come to that later on, but it's it, no, it's, it's it's that's what's really inherent. I think it helps when you look at. Let's say the European, there's a European organic label, there is um, a country organic label, there's different ones. Um, if, you, if, if you have that as a little help, um, then 
uh, it'll let you understand by checking the guidelines or the definition of, of, of these of these rule sets. Um, organic work in, in in the vineyard to me is um, what it also is on on a, on a European level. It's basically the um, complete uh, um, taking out anything that's uh, petrochemical in, in, in the process. So let the plant grow, um, work the way you work with the plant. That's always a very big factor in winemaking, um, but don't use uh, herbicides, pesticides, insecticides that are on a level of uh, just chemical things. There's many things that you can do on a natural in a natural way by um, allowing um, that biodiversity in the vineyard that actually kind of like levels everything out, but that's going too far. So yeah, um, we'll we'll get to stuff like that. Well, uh, organic winemaking is uh, is starts in 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 the vineyard uh, and then keeps on going in um, in the cellar uh, through vinification, where basically the same rule applies. Um, do not add anything or don't take anything out. Uh, meaning filtration. Yeah, all these things, and that's and and that's usually kind of more the place that the rules or laws um, about what is allowed and does not have to at all be divulged uh, are yeah. are are way it's more tricky. lax, shall we say? And like, for instance, the organ organic laws. Yeah pretty much don't apply at all to a lot of vinification yeah, uh, action and stuff. Uh, yeah. I mean, every, everything you've said um, about uh, my feelings about the term natural wine uh, to totally hold true. I think it's a, it's a kind of silly, uh, silly term because it doesn't really mean anything specific. It uh, caught on, I think because it, was easier or more catchy than um, stuff like uh, low intervention or um, naked wine uh, is one that I've heard or um, uh, oh there was some other really really silly one that I heard uh, kind of recently I think it was wine without mm, okay <laughs> and I was like we're in Spain. I would like a wine without cola. No Kylie Mocho, please. Just, just give me a wine without. Good answer. Obviously, uh, the reason I'm asking everybody is because this, uh, this means something different to each person. But I can say, I can, I can add something though. That's quite important. It, de it, de it doesn't go ahead. Like, yeah, sure. To me, this is, this is the, mm -hmm. the basic understanding. This is what I, uh, this is what I also try to convey, and um, you know, when people ask, this is this is the basis of it. It doesn't mean that everything that is done naturally tastes great, though. Oh yeah, absolutely. I do taste the difference, though. Um, if the really good wines that I that I drink and that I pour to customers, yeah, um, you you can taste a certain uh, vivid. I don't know how to explain that in English, but there is um, a, a sense of still livingness. Yes. Well, yeah, you can, yeah. vibration, you can, electricity, 
You can sense certain things that you cannot sense with wines that have um, high amounts of um, sulfites added. Right. Uh, I mean, if if we're going to get all chemical about it, there's a lot of different things that make people's mouth tickle in those ways that that are more present in a lot of uh, the ways natural quote-unquote wines are made, like remaining uh, naturally occurring carbon dioxide or... Should we talk about should we talk about sulfites though because that remains one of the key questions? Absolutely. Uh, we, I mean, this is this actually plays directly into the the one of the two other main questions that I'm going to ask because this is one of the answers to to this question because the second question is why this kind of wine, which will for the ease of this podcast called natural wine, as opposed to anything you can just get off of a supermarket shelf, aka conventional wine or, you know, what people think of as normal wine, which is what very, very often people, uh, uh, say, they say, nor what about normal wine? <laughs> well, we say conventional wine and that's, that's, you know, uh, not necessarily, that's also misleading. Let's put it that way. Right. <laughs> because it's only a convention from the last 200 years. Not even, not, no, not even. It's the last 80, 90 years. Uh, before that, you couldn't go into um, uh, a big store and buy all, of, all the powders and all these things because chemical revolution wasn't done yet. Um, I mean, you can always get um, natural sulfites from uh, the nearest volcano, but most places in Europe don't necessarily have a volcano around. Oh, yeah, yeah. What I what I can say to, uh, regarding your question is uh, number one thing: I would never go into a supermarket to buy a bottle of wine. Why? It's pretty simple. Um, it's I don't think it's bad. Everybody can do it. I wouldn't. Um, super, supermarkets buy in general. If you're not in France and you don't have a supermarket that sources its wines regionally and just gets a couple of bottles from the winemaker. Most supermarkets are supermarkets. Everything is there. All sorts of whites are there. There's Pinot Grigio, there's Riesling, there's, you know, everything is, is there. It all kind of tastes the same, but a supermarket makes money on, on the wine, just like a reseller does or in a porter, but on a much larger scale. Uh, also, supermarket wines usually tend to be, yeah, from, from domains, from winemakers that are not winemakers anymore, they're more like, they could be doing Coca-Cola. Um, they're, they're producing right. but thousands and thousands of, of gallons and liters of wine. Um, now, how do you do that? You just really kind of like lower the standard on what you do, uh, and those wines are never really that interesting. You can find, by chance, a good bottle in the supermarket, but you need to know about the bottle beforehand. Right. In general, on the other side, I would say any bottle in the supermarket is not good. I, I, uh, you know that my personal opinion is very, very similar to yours. The purpose of the question and the purpose of the podcast, though, is to, to help people understand why this particular thing is also something that you can care about and why. So why the wine that is not in the supermarket 
even though everything that you're saying I also think is true, still it wouldn't necessarily mean that much to people who haven't uh, had a lot of experience with the difference. So can you talk about the difference, like for instance, between when and how much sulfites are added and why for the different kinds of, of wine or, um, or how like uh, a supermarket wine, because it has to be of a certain amount uses um, flavor additives or particular kinds of yeast that change the way the fermentation actually works so that they, and they, right. those so that they can have a controlled same bottle in everything. And enzymes, yes. So we're going, we're, we're looking at the production of wine now. In regular winemaking, uh, you have harvest, you take the wines in, and one of the first things you do is, even just already in the box of the, of the harvesting box, these are quite big boxes, sometimes especially for like you know, bigger scale winemakers, they, people already add a little bit of sulfite. Now, why do they add sulfites? Sulfites is um, a modern um, invention. It's, it helps uh, preservative. It helps uh, in hygiene in many ways, in, hy in hygiene in general. Um, but it's it's a toxic. I mean, that's how it that's how it started. Was uh, it used to be used as a cleaning agent for the inside of uh, clay pots that were used not just for wine but for other drinks and elixirs all the way back to the Greeks. But they didn't add it usually to the actual drinks, it would clean it and then wash it off. And why does it do that? Because it, uh, it actually uh, kills any microbiological activity. So in already in packaging and in uh, making, right. making things keep longer, be it meat or whatever you have to keep, uh, when you buy things in the supermarket, there's um, a lot of sulfite added to, to things. That per se is not a bad thing. It got us there where we are. Um, in, in, uh, in, in winemaking, killing all the yeast, and this, is, and this is the most important part, because the yeasts are the ones that actually vinify the wines and they're actually naturally- They're the living microbes. In, uh, yeah. in the harvest, yeah. They're on the skin of the, um, of, the, of the grapes, they're on the stems. They are there also because um, they're everywhere, man. They're everywhere. They're on your skin. They're everywhere, man. Yeasty man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, in natural winemaking, they're also there because you leave them there. You want that diversity of yeasts, uh, different strings that later on when you pick the wines can actually start employing. Yeah, yeah. Which everyone has a different one. It's like the microbiome in your stomach, say. You want there to be a healthy, right. And the same thing with each uh, plant or soil or the different area or whatever there's, you'll, you'll find different genetic strains of yeast any, everywhere you go, completely different and mixtures. Yeah. Somebody wants to think about um, the question of terroir. That's, that's one big part and aspect of what I believe. Is terra, but that's that's maybe taking it uh, too far right now. 
No, we we can get into that later too. Uh, I mean, the whole point is to is to get as into as much as we possibly can, but start with the, these these three simple questions first. So, coming back to uh, the the normal winemaking, you add yeast, um, which calms down any the microbiological activity. Um, you then press the wines, um, direct press, and you add more yeast, no more no more sulfites to get a clean juice that doesn't really do anything. It just sits there this, and this waits. Is, this is conventional wine we're talking about, right? This is con right. conventional winemaking. You then add a, an industrial aroma yeast. Well, why are they called industrial aroma yeast? It's because they are produced industrially, made that way. And aroma, because they actually have a certain aroma profile to it. These yeasts are... Right. Breeded specifically, breeded, bred. bred. They're bred. Sorry. Yeah, they're bred or or in in, in yeah, they're breaded and deep fried, exactly. and then they're delicious. Uh, no, they are they're bred, and sometimes they're even uh, straight up designed occasionally. Yeah. Uh, I mean, let's let's be honest here. I'm a huge fan of chemistry and the possibilities we have with chemistry, uh, but mm -hmm. this uh, this example is unfortunately not one of our finest hours when it comes to that. These yeast, this is usually just one string of yeast, uh, will then uh, go ahead and transform, on a very basic level, transform the sugar that is um, contained in the grapes uh, into carbon dioxide and alcohol, which then makes a wine, sparkling wine, or if you have open bats, or you know, there's a microoxidation possible, right. Um, right. the wine will, will be still at some point. Carbon dioxide happens to be very quick in escaping. It's basically the 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 yeast fart carbon dioxide when they eat uh, the sugar and make alcohol and and a bunch of other that's, things, right? Exactly. That's, that's, the, the, that's sim the simple way. The simple way of looking at it. Yes. Uh, yeah, simple way of looking at it. I mean, it's a fun way that people tend to very much like the image of. <laughs> um, so. Uh, uh, no. So now then, st still things can happen. Um, so you might add more um, during the vinification. You might add a little bit more of uh, um, of sulfites to just keep everything stable. And then you then, when it comes to bottling, actually putting the product in a bottle, you use sulfites to wash the bottles, and you actually add more sulfites in order for the wine to be stable. Now it might be stable. Right. And it is stable. It probably will. But what I'm saying is it's, it's dead from the beginning. It's dead stable. Right. Yeah. So I don't, on the other hand, um, I'm not a big fan of uh, crazy instability. I like stable wines that are stable because the winemaker has, knows his, his trade. Let's put it that way. Uh, on the other hand. It's difficult to make a stable wine let's say with zero use of sulfite uh, at all in your process but it's a skill that a, a winemaker learns over time it's not that uh, natural wine is inherently more unstable it's just that uh, these conventional wines were 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 always going to be dead if you like kill off all of the living things in them before you even start the vinification pro 
process? Yeah. Hmm. Most of the stability that we're talking about, because we, we tend to be fixed and focused so much on how stable things are in, in order to, right. um, to kill uncertainty. Mm -hmm. Uncertainty avoidance is a big part of our everyday life. And there's cultures that have a higher uncertainty avoidance and cultures that have a low, lower uncertainty avoidance, which definitely also shows well, in the winemaking markets. And all, also laws when it pertains to food. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, so uncertainty avoidance is a big, is a big part uh, of this. Um, where was I getting? <laughs> that uh, that the, cert um, the certainty isn't as much there, let's say, with a natural wine, especially with somebody who is uh, less experienced or, or, uh, or has less... Less of a tool bag of skills. You can't just, you cannot just start to make wines. Any kind of wines, it's, you will have to know uh, a lot about the plant, about the growing process. And one of the things that I discovered is, uh, is, is key to um, outstanding wines um, is the work in the, in, the, in the vineyard. Yeah. The work every day out, every day in, um, to know what you're doing and... Um, there's many myths about these things. I mean, every winemaker that you ask will tell you he loves working in nature. Right. Um, every winemaker will tell you he's working on a sustainable level uh -huh. because sustainable doesn't mean anything anymore. It totally doesn't. <laughs> the well, same you, as you organic. Can, the moment politics started talking about sustainability, it basically, this was off. Hey, man, the people um, who used to use sustainable now use permaculture and they're almost already ready to stop using that, even though... It actually makes more sense because permaculture is specifically supposed to be a constantly changing and living and learning version of uh, trying for sustainability. Uh, anyway, yeah. So every 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 winemaker um, will tell you these things. So yes, that that's another um, argument for saying don't necessarily go buy a wine in a supermarket. Go to a wine cellar because if it's a good one. He will tell you about these things. I necessarily, I don't, I personally don't, I work in wine, so I don't really care about the organic label or the Demeter certified label. I know what it means and I'm very happy to find a Demeter certified wine. Um, I was going to say Demeter uh, is a pr pretty damn good version uh, as far as these designations go. Um, Comparatively, and I, I do often tell people, look, if you don't have a shop that specializes in this kind of stuff and you don't know where to order online and you don't want to, uh, you know, go super crazy in this and want to start, then uh, it doesn't hurt to buy a Demeter wine. It doesn't mean it's going to be guaranteed to be good. You know, nothing is guaranteed to be good, but um, the Demeter designation for for most of the things that it applies to because it is a tells you it won't hurt your body right tells you it is it is done in a way that is uh is caring about what's going into you and a lot more and a lot more than uh an organic designation ever cycle in nature even in the best of cases an organic because the, like, when we talk about this just very briefly demeter's demeter certified wines 
actually include the winemaking in the tests. So mm -hmm. yes, if you yes. want to be a part of Demeter, you uh, you have to work your way around uh, being tested, having people come over, having uh, other people in other fields of um, of farming come over to see what you're doing. There's there's the idea is exchange. This is unfortunately a uh, expensive part of uh, of of being good if you want to have an actual designation, though, uh, right? That you need to put time and money into making uh, it possible to get the designation. There's probably some kind of cost uh, and fees to the people who come there, you know, all this different stuff. It also means something. Yeah, but it's not a pain in the ass. It's not a pain in the ass. It's re it, it, it is feasible. Yeah, really? Okay. You could, you could, it's, it, it is not that expensive. It's what people say, yeah, but why would I do the meeting? Well, my under my understanding, uh, my brother, you know, my brother is a farmer and a academic farmer at that, about to have a PhD in like you know food food systems and uh, food justice and stuff. He has mentioned to me before that he thought certain certain countries the organic designation is like too expensive for most small farms that would actually be genuinely working organic to be able to pay for whereas uh farms yeah but we're in the west like we are in the western world we're, this is i think this uh, this very much applies to africa south america most parts right. even though there's i i i think he was talk, talking about also some places in europe but i think he was maybe talking more uh, about let's say poland eastward let's say x iron curtain or something i mean i don't know details about this maybe italy possibly actually i mean italy tends to um to have designations be very 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 strict specific and costly it's 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 like you know mini mini mafia slash guilds for everything but you know then again there's a reason that real parmesan is uh as incredible as it is and why there's a uh, whatever. Th Are you saying it's the mafia? No, 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 no. That, that there is this super, super strict, crazy designation, but also that's why there's like a, what, 300 billion euro or something, uh, fake Parmesan black market, you know? <laughs> I don't know anything about that really. It, I don't know if it's 300 yeah. billion, but it's huge. And, and that exists for other you know, super strict designations because there's money to be. Made. Yeah, but the designations are trying to be. That's uh, different. It's a bit really a different topic. Other, 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 other. You know. Um. So I'm hearing a couple of the reasons that you're talking about are the use of sulfite extremely early in vinification or or even directly after harvest in conventional wines, and also the the use of basically many different kinds of things that might make it consistent or taste a certain way, but not necessarily taste like the grape or the yeast or the area or how it was vinified or how it was farmed or the whatever. Maker. Right. And, and the, and the style of farming, because uh, you didn't talk about it, but like with conventional wines, how, how would you describe the differences in farming for those? Obviously, we're talking about larger, more industrial-scale farming. Everything is automatisiert, as we say in German. Uh, okay. You use a tractor to do everything, which is 
per se not a bad thing if you want to do have big yields and uh, mm -hmm. and work on bigger fields. You know that's what comes with it. You can't do the work uh, manually. That uh, there's also occasionally some stuff that still works with a tractor, right? Like I mean, a lot of people don't have horses or oxen to aerate a field, but you could aerate a field with a small tractor. Yeah, but I'm, I'm also saying the tractor is not, the tractor is not the, 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 the problem per se, because it can't be. It's a be, tool. It's, you know, uh, but it's, it's what you put on the tractor in order to gotcha. work with wines. These tractors have, they have, um, additions to right. spraying additions. They can, uh, they can cut, they can, um, they can, they can farm the ground, uh, the soil, uh, all these things. Um, de-stemming de grapes, uh, you know, harvesting them, uh, in like by just cutting yeah, they sh off no, the whole they don't cut, they shake. bush or whatever. And they shake. Shake. Well, no, I know, I know about the shaking ones too, but, uh, uh, are there also ones that, uh, basically just cut the tops of all of them for the next year? And then that top just falls into a hopper that then de-stems all of it. All the stems are gone. All is, leaves are gone. It's a different thing though. De-stemming is the, is in the winemaking. Automation of the work in the field, the decisions that are made in how you're growing them goals being higher, higher yield as opposed to quality of the grapes or whatever. Yeah. Uh, the automation is much, much higher in let's, yeah, let's say normal winemaking. The, um, the approach the winemakers I work with take is, is, is a much different one. They, don't necessarily like the tractor as a machine, just the tractor because it compacts the ground so much that it can't breathe anymore. So working, that's one part, that's a, a very big one actually. It also has to do with decisions of how close you, you plant the grapes because a tractor always needs more space than just a human being and or a horse. And the closer you plant the grapes in their idea, why are they actually really just planting them so close is because the grapes will go into a certain, a certain form of competition and um, will stop growing the roots towards each other, but more to the ground. And they go deeper and deeper instead of going outside, you know, just spreading out. Ah. Yeah. Tractor needs, needs uh, space. Right. Right. Huh. Spreading out. Right. And becoming a, a network that's very interesting i i had I, that's something that i had not thought about with the tractor automation process right people that call themselves and i really don't know any of the winemakers that call themselves i'm a natural wine producer haven't really heard that um they they talk about why they do natural uh slightly different um of course, when it comes to harvest, they will pick sure. non-automated. They will use brute, not brute force, but brute. It's family. It's basically family and friends who don't have an option to say no. <laughs> exactly. 
Exactly. They, they, they use um, humans in order to get the, the, the crop in, right. meaning the grapes. And, and the same thing even before the harvest happens. There's all these different things that you do throughout the entire growing season. Exactly. That now, there, there's... No, no, no. Sorry, ahead. but there is conventional... I just don't want this people to get the wrong idea. There's conventional winemakers that will also handpick. That's not the point. I was going to say natu the, the natural winemakers um, do not only handpick, they do everything by Yeah, hand. sure. Sure. And or little tractors in the field that's they're out and about um, every day of the year in the, in the growing um, season uh, to care about something that is the most important to make wines. And it's, it's the grape, basically. Right. Yeah, that's why I was. Uh, would you say that this all could be boiled down to this um, sort of idea of of the care that goes in is the care that comes out sort of uh, like, because, you know, there's a lot of, uh, I mean, I'm, I, I think that the obsession with um, artisanal everything, especially as a marketing idea and a way to, uh, to make things more expensive is really silly. And uh, it doesn't always mean um, it, that when somebody does everything, uh, detail oriented and all by themselves in a doesn't mean that it's good. It doesn't always mean that it's good uh, at all. But yeah. right, it's not. It's not. It's not a guarantee. Not per se. Not because they do it by hand. But one of the. But we could say in a way that one of the reasons that you would say pick, and again, I mean the podcast is not called natural wine anything i i'm using these terms always with each person that i'm going to talk to uh because it's it's a good way to simplify and to introduce people to to why uh we pay attention to this stuff but would you say it it boils kind of down to the fact that the difference between the kind of wine you and i are more likely to drink or go buy or want to try versus the conventional wine is a question of the amount of not just care, but also. I'm going to say no. You are listening to a podcast under the La Mission radio umbrella. You can find us and support us at patreon.com slash join Pablo. That's patreon.com. J-O-I-N-P-A-B-L-O. Early access for patrons, plus special bonus episodes, and a whole lot more as we did not start as a podcast Patreon. Come and see us. Attention or, uh, or detail-oriented or, you know, um, I, I really want to say that there's another way to say this, but what, what, what would you say the big difference is then? I mean, because I, I, I see all this care stuff as being completely the opposite of automation and of uh, larger scale winemaking. Uh, and even, even, you know, some conventional winemakers that might do hand picking of their grapes, everything else in the entire process is also still automated. Um, they're just paying, you know, itinerant workers to, to do that hand picking, for instance. Because it's better. Hand picking always is better. Always a set of eyes on the grape uh, that can exclude 
um, aspects, um, be it moldiness or whatever, that can just cut it away right away and it's, and it's done and you have a perfectly new and healthy grape. I was looking for the word healthy. <laughs> I got what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, the, the, and, uh, <laughs> it's because the, you can't remember the last time you have actually felt health that way. <laughs> actually that's not true i guess you spent you spent a huge amount of uh of uh, 2020 um working in a vineyard so you actually probably felt healthy a lot of last year uh, as opposed to the rest of us um okay so you wouldn't use the care difference but some something like that no because if the wine, like if somebody cared about something and the wine is not good I, I'm, I'm not going to drink the wine. I'm still not going to drink the wine. Okay. I'm, I'm not saying that. No, no, exactly. I, again, uh, uh, again, I'm not saying that the care makes the wine good. I'm saying that the difference between the other wine and the kind of wines that we are more likely to want to drink or that we do drink or that we choose to drink is usually uh, a difference of care, knowledge, experience, uh, all being put together to make product without massive amount of interference, whereas the conventional wine tends to be none of those first things massively interfered with. And the knowledge uh, that's used to make it the way it is, is massively interfered with to try to make the most for the cheapest, the most consistently Stay stable, as you say. For understanding, just purely for like for understanding. To make it very simple, I could not care less how much effort, how much uh, of his life a winemaker loses by wanting to make it right, because it doesn't change anything about the wine. If, if I look at myself in my profession as a sommelier. The idea of knowing the winemakers is, is very nice and you get to know more and more winemakers over the years. And there's also this theological thing of saying, you know, we only buy wines from the winemakers we know. I tend to say that that's bullshit. Most people yeah. that uh, get into wines uh, don't actually really know the winemakers. And it's not important because what you do is you open a wine and you, you taste it and you deem it uh, important enough to have it on your wine list for accompanying food or for just drinking the wine for different reasons. Or you say, uh, it's not really that interesting. I'm not going to buy it. So the buying decision as we're in a business has. Right. Is about the wine, you know, is, is something very important. you not. I, 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 uh, I prefer to not get into what makes something important for a business, uh, you know, I, I want this very specifically to be about what makes this important to people and how they feel and how they enjoy it. Um, and that's, I mean, and that's why the question, So, just, I, again, yeah, I get coming it. Coming back it, to it. It doesn't matter. It, it could, of course it matters to me because it tells me so much about um, who this person is when I go visit him, um, why I believe that, why is that important? Because it's also part of like, taking care of our nature as something that's cultivated or has been cultivated for years and years and years. And I much prefer 
a winemaker that doesn't use any um, any additives uh, in, in, in the field that kill the soil. And no sane winemaker would actually do that. That's why in many- and should be yeah. for the future too. Yeah, well- if, Right, right. Because it makes their life harder in the future or their children or whatever, uh, or both. <laughs> And and it and and it let's put it back to um, capitalistic uh, ways of thinking. It also makes you ground. You lose value. You will lose value. Yeah. You have right. um, a moon-like area where you grow your wine. You know, uh, then it's really not. It's not worth anything. It will not grow wines after a certain amount of time. So you need to be leveled out. Now, if you, if you choose to not use any of these chemicals, then you're pretty much safe when it comes to the value of your, of your soil. Um, but just, you do have to know incredibly much about um, chemistry, about the, um, about the plant itself. You know, it's, it never stops. Um, when you're a winemaker, you take decisions and you have um, hopefully a clear mindset of what yeah. your mind uh, of what your wine should come out as. Does that make sense? Or like, what's the wine, what should the wine be like? Yeah. I mean, uh, to, to me, to me, it but does you only make get sense, to, yeah. to make choices uh, in, a, in a very limited set because you have to imagine you have one crop every year. So that's one wine, Per year, it's not ten. You harvest in August, September, October, November, December. Right. On this side of right. And if you if you if you take the choice of, uh, of changing something um, along alongside that's uh, fundamental, then that will have an effect on the wine. And how many years do we live? Depending. How many years yeah, can yeah. you make I wine? Mean, 40, uh, 50, 60 max. Most people make twenty years of wines. If you if you're lucky and you get started so that's, early, yeah, yeah. with a set of choices you have as a basis, and then the ones you change over time because you've learned from other winemakers, you've seen you want to try something new. If you change more than five uh, variables along the way over a year, you will not have an idea about the effects per change that you could have. So it's a very conservative way of of doing things. If you're a shoemaker, you make good shoes from the beginning or bad shoes from the beginning, but you like the, the good shoemaker. You have no idea what changed. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Totally. Or you can or you can learn five things that you did wrong from one pair of shoes, but you you know, you can't learn all five things were wrong that you decided that year from the wine because you don't know which one of the five might be, be the one that did the thing that you don't, that didn't work or that you didn't like or that didn't happen correctly. Um, this is super, super interesting. I want to talk more about this because it's totally close to my heart um, uh, and what I'm most interested in uh, in my future of wine stuff. But I'm going to jump to the next mm -hmm. third question that I'm going to ask every guest on this. And I think you already answered uh, quite a bit of the second part of this question, but the first part you did not answer. So you can start that. It's 
what was your personal introduction to this kind of wine? Not not use the term natural wine, just to keep Jan from making a face again. Um, and then and then the second part is why is it important to you personally? But I, I mean, I think you've answered that quite a bit. But what was your introduction? Uh, very simple. Um, uh, when I was 22, I went to live in Paris. Uh, I didn't really drink uh, any alcohol before that. Um, so whatever, yeah, whatever people drink during their teenage years, I haven't. But let me assure you that uh, I made up for it. Um, so I lived in I lived in France, and I got to know a young lady, which happened, uh, which then you know was my girlfriend for about five years. Um, went back to Berlin, but still had the contact of uh, of uh, of family uh, in in France, being her family, um, and just like um, just just like it happens every so often, um, had a father-in-law. And he was eager to show me, very French way, um, by the way, uh, of, show, of showing me his, uh, his cab, his, his wine selection. And uh, we started talking about this and I was interested and we started, I started drinking. That's basically also it. Um, probably drank a lot of uh, stuff back then that I wouldn't necessarily drink uh, today anymore. But, you know, I got into the subject and then came back to Berlin and started uh, studying and was looking for a job to find and my city, um, and um, ended up in uh, in a restaurant, um, small French restaurant with uh, with a very very good wine list, um, and just got into the realm of gastronomy. And uh, the more you drink, the more you drink in a structured way. The more you you know you want to understand, the more competent you want to be. The more um, you need to know about wines. And um, and as this was in 2003, 2004, and it was very much also the time when uh, going back to Paris, going to see winemakers, um, the the wine consumption in Paris and restaurants um, started changing into something called bistronomie and. The bistronomy. Called what? So it's a mix between bistro, easygoing, ah, okay, and then it, it cut out. gastronomy. And natural wine made its appearance in, in Paris back then. Um, why am I into it? Is because to me, it just tastes better when these wines are, to me, any, any big and great wine on this planet um, is a natural wine. But it also doesn't mean that every natural wine is a big wine. That's a very important thing to, to keep in mind. Besides very rare occasions, um, I, I cannot drink anything else anymore. It's, uh, you have a sensitivity of, of taste that, that comes with natural. Um, for, for, me, for me, the big thing that I find uh, almost always makes it really difficult for me to drink a conventional, shall we say, wine is... Um, just the amount of sugar added that I can taste in all of them. Like it's kind of crazy because I don't feel like I taste whatever the wine is ever anymore because I kind of seem to only taste the sugar. Uh, hmm. 
Well, there's really dry wines in, in conventional winemaking, but there, there there are, but I but I feel like I still taste the sugar in those because they might have used these other yeasts to eat all of this extra added sugar they put in, but the extra added sugar that they put in still changes the way that that wine mm -hmm. tastes at the end. Uh, I, I think different people have different things that uh, end up being more or less obvious to them or, or bother them more or less uh, about it. And the question was, what makes it important or, or special or whatever to you, not to me. So, uh, so obviously, feel free to disagree or, uh, or, or explain more about your thing. What makes it special to me? It's, um, it's the purity. It's, the, uh, it's mostly um, the expression of acidity that, um, that I find is much... And I was just keeping on talking. I, I would like uh, I would like you to to start because I want to hear this and not just in the edit. I said I said it's it's a purity, which doesn't be, doesn't make you understand. Uh, it's it's just another word and has a, another attribute. Um, I'm starting to get um, um, thirsty here, doing a little burp. Mm. Um, <laughs> I was thinking about acidity and it gets my you know my my body going uh, it's it's the um it's the essence of acidity that um, oh, yeah. the, the this this the lightness this playful um vibration that comes with it even though i i, I do kind of not like these words but i you know have to use them that 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 really um that really gets me going, yes. Um, um, but it, the wine needs to be flawless in a way. Um, I can I, I can accept a couple of flaws um, because I think it makes um, some easy drinking wines uh, interesting, but I'm not necessarily looking for them. I cannot accept other flaws. Right. And you and I, on a, on a personal level, often uh, have a have a difference in, in, in that specifically, in that um, there's a lot of wines that uh, I like a, a lot that are super meaningful to me because th the person hasn't quite really figured out how to make it yet and they uh, accidentally stumble onto something that's extremely wild but extremely perfect. But it's a hit and fail even for like... It's, the question is, are you selling it or are you not? And hit and miss, hit and miss. Right. Well, very often people are selling it. <laughs> and, and, some, and, and some of those wines end up being very, very hit and miss. There are some people who, uh, who have wines that, um, that I have uh, lauded loudly to anybody who could hear and then gotten bottles of them and been like, oh, wow, this one doesn't taste anything like that other one but that's not that's not uh that's not um every wine and that is very much a, a matter of um of people learning their craft i think um and uh and also how much like natural wines can contain sulfites it actually does by by not definition but by um by process because um 
there is sulfites being um, produced by the yeasts. So there's a, there's a natural sulfite um, um, population. No, not production in 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 the uh, in the process. Could could you say about how much per liter of that is usually produced? No, no, that depends on weird things like pH levels on the soil that is then connected also with pH levels. Um, right on the yeasts, it's um, anything. I. I guess anything, um, there's certainly a definition and uh, I could just look it up, but I guess uh, anything up to 30 milligrams of sulfites. Right. Uh, but ranging from one, huh? Per liter? Yes. Milligrams okay. per liter, yes. Um, uh, this is what people, you know, people get, get their wines tested in... Um, what do they call these things where you send something in and a lab, a lab laboratories. Uh, that's also quite important doing winemaking to just know where it's, uh, where it's at with this acidity, um, pH levels, all these things uh, gives you a good idea of what the wine will be uh, looking at the state of the wine. Um, but uh, I'm, this is important to me. I, I do believe that zero sulfides added, is if you if the wine is perfect and um, it doesn't have any um, any faults uh, on the horizon is is the best way of making making wines. But you need like it's not about knowing more or knowing less. Um, it's about um, being able to do that as a winemaker. It's a, it's a skill, but it's um, at the same time, it's, it, it's not something that is just in your head. You have to understand the nature. You have to be like, uh, in a way, part of it, understanding the grapes um, in, in a way um, they need to be understood. And, it, you know, like a Pinot Noir is completely different as a grape, than, as a Silvana or then a Silvana or any other grape. They all behave differently. They're all the same. At re know, react, um, family, reacting... But, during the growing process as well, right? Knowing what you're doing and reacting to mostly uh, natural. And there's some winemakers that will have uh, harvests where they say, okay, well, unfortunately this year, even though I almost always work with zero sulfite added, I'm going to have to add yeah. four milligrams or whatever per liter. You then, you then test, exactly. So um, instead of using 100 milligrams uh, of sulfites added during vinification and at bottling, I think for me, it's better to use that little bit of sulfites and a little bit has an effect. Mm -hmm. the, the little bit is the, the difference between five and 15 milligrams. It's not perceivable mm -hmm. per se by everybody's palate. Mm -hmm. But the five milligrams, if it stabilizes the wine, if you have the impression that uh, over tasting the um, echantillon, the, 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 the tests that you have over uh, a period of time, a week or 10 days, you see differences in five and 10 milli milliliters, which then, which then lets you extract, extrapolate mm -hmm. towards the future of the, of the wine in the bottle. Um, uh, and, but instead, five and 10 is still not the question, but if you use 40, then that will definitely have a cut, cut down and limited effect on the wines. Whereas five milli, 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 
five milligrams, sorry, milligrams, I was talking about milliliters, milligrams will give the wine a direction. It can still, it's, it still lives in, in that, um, it's a, that, it's in these a, borders. It's a stop, it's a stop sign. If you want to say it that way, It's yes. sort of about yeah. uh, controlling that um, living community that's in the wine versus bombing that community to, to just stop and not exist. Let's, I, I'm going to say it that way just because it's an easy way for people to understand. Um, and, and it kind of brings me to I something like that. that you're talking uh, about controlling communities, man. <laughs> yeah. And using the bombs anarchist, as... right. Well, yeah, but I very, I very much was talking about how, uh, you know, doing the bombing way is not the right way to do it. It's not the right way to do it. Yeah. Draws a picture. Exactly. Just cut a couple of heads. You, you, you don't want to destroy communities. You, uh, you want to uh, tend to them and uh, help them grow and mature in the best ways possible for them. <laughs> um, but this brings me to a, a super, super common question that I nearly always, always get because uh, this is also a misconception for people who have never really had much experience with um, the kind of wine we're talking about and uh, have always kind of just picked whatever is in their price range at a, at a supermarket or a corner store or whatever. Um, uh, I'm always asked, okay, then does that mean that these kinds of wines without having this amount of uh, um, sulfite added are unstable? Uh, can, can I keep them? Not like I always keep a wine on my shelf for, you know, months or years or whatever, but, um, uh, but people fix it about stability. Right. Of course, if you, if you have a car, because, it's because we always compare things to our consumption life. You have a car, you want it to be stable. You want it to run as long as fucking possible. It makes it boring as fucking, as boring as fucking possible. Just to, I mean, honestly, like any car that breaks down and gives you a real driving sensation is so much more fun to drive. Now, um, I'm not going to use that allegory towards wine, really, but it's, it's what we think about. What is stability in wine? I tell you, the, the real, the real, you know, we're in a, in a phase where we talk about natural wines because people are interested and also winemakers start making, taking decisions of making more and more natural wines. Even people that are conventional now have, um, in their vineyard, they have a designated area where they try to make natural wines just to, like, try it out because you learn this craft from your dad or your mother. <laughs> Big question. Not yet. Um, but in, in some cases, but in this very small yeah. amount of cases. Um, but um, uh, where was I at? <sighs> yeah. And it's, it's becoming a bigger topic in our lives. Like, yeah, uh, people learn this stuff. People who are doing conventionals are trying to also um, do things in a in a more, shall we say, natural way. It's a it's a, a marketing thing as well, and it's a uh, it's something people are caring about because they care about, uh, in general, what happens to their bodies and to the earth, or at least want to show that they do, even if they 
don't necessarily really do. Well, you get into that. I'm not. Um, I'm not going to continue on that point. But uh, I know uh, very much what you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's just me being a jerk. And right, uh, but um, it's becoming a bigger topic. So uh, I'm trying this out, and it become it comes with lots of um, change in your head. You need to be able to adapt much, much more to what's what's happening. Um, some people embrace that and some people don't, but um, there's more and more natural wise, which means that there is a vast majority. And we've talked about the bad um, examples uh, without selling any names or, you know, or, or, or vintages or whatever, but the, the, the really great wines on this planet have always been done naturally. Um, some of the most expensive wines that you can buy today are done naturally. And there is a savoir-faire, there's a, a knowledge inherent to the winemaker that is being passed on um, from generation to generation that makes these wines also keepable. Are they stable? These wines are stable as fuck. I mean, sure. sorry for cursing, but sure. um, these wines, these wines no, cursing is allowed stay, stay where they are but not where they are. These wines will actually evolve over the years and not just lose a little bit of color and oxidate a bit more, but they will evolve over the years. And it's quite interesting. Um, and to my knowledge, the, the, the good examples that I've been drinking, it's, it's outstanding drinking clear and crisp wines that are 15, 20 years old. Um, but it depends on the quality of wine. I mean, entry-level wine will never get there. That's so asking about the stability of a wine when you pay five dollars, five euros, 15, that's a difference. Difference, you know, that's 15 is not necessarily entry level, depending on where you buy it. Some people put their prices so high that 15 can be entry, entry level, but um, let's let's talk about 30 euro wines. Unfortunately, I think uh, very, very often when it um, comes to this kind of entry level is going to be at least 15 because of people not really having as much access, shall we say, to it as, uh, as, as, as some people. And a tractor is much less expensive using it over the years uh, than employing four or five people working with you in the, in, in the vineyard, doing everything manually. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm also of the opinion that um, it's kind of crazy for the same people to uh, be happy to spend the extra, extra, extra money on everything that they eat that costs four, five, 10, 20 times the conventional style version of that or the cheaper whatever one and care that much about it. But then... Um, almost always just reach for the six euro bottle of a grape they've heard the name of enough times at the regular supermarket and think that that's really good. Why not spend, you know. And it's a beverage and then, you know, I mean, you, you lean down and buy a bottle of Coca-Cola for a dollar and 50. Coca-Cola. How can wine cost <laughs> 450 yeah. or five or three? 
in a supermarket that always tries to make uh, <laughs> its cut on, on, on selling stuff. So, I mean, just think. Right. I just, uh, uh, my point was just that I try to uh, encourage people to think about it differently and not think that uh, an entry level wine being 15 euros is expensive because you've been paying this cheap price for this other stuff. You've been paying, it's, it's a, expensive it's, for it's, getting a rush out of it, for just like getting pure alcohol in it, it's expensive. Yeah, well, if that's what you want, then buy a bottle of uh, of white lightning along with your uh, wine because you can get a bottle of white lightning for you know like nine bucks or whatever. It's going to be like the yeah, exactly you know a hundred and ninety two proof or whatever. Dude, I once knew a girl that her name was White Lightning. Not kidding. <laughs> But her name was Joan White Lightning, and she was um, a Native American. Joan. Oh well, that that makes more that makes more sense. I thought you meant whole name <laughs> no. White Lightning, and it was going. I was going. I was imagining somebody at Coachella, uh, you know, wear, wearing a, a really annoying outfit made up of multiple different uh, indigenous tribes from around the world. I mean. Uh, Shout out to Joan White, White Lightning. I uh, I am glad that you are not the terrible person that I envisioned in my head. Um, uh, and I hope names make a difference, huh? I, I hope you do not sweat 192 proof because um, that means some very, very, very dangerous things about you. So, so we haven't talked about anything a lot. We talked about the three, three, three main things. Um, uh, this is where I would generally open it up. There's a lot, a lot of uh, things that we touched on a, a tiny bit. Uh, I know you and I could talk about one of eight million things in relation to wine. Is there anything that you specifically want to to let let people know about who are either new to this or even not if, if people are, are actually already totally into this and there's stuff that like uh, you feel like doesn't, uh, doesn't get enough, enough shine or enough, uh, you know? Yeah. If, if you're interested in, in the subject, um, but it comes, you know, this is an advice I, I could give about anything else. Um, don't try to be smart about it. Be interested, be open-minded drink as much as possible that's unfortunately a part of it but structured <laughs> drink in a structured way of uh, maybe maybe you know taking notes um engage in two real conversations with the sommelier don't be afraid of it but um don't try to show off he will like if he's a good guy he'll listen uh, or a good girl um or woman or man sorry um and 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 uh, and keep the conversation going, but there's, I mean, uh, this is not a red flag, but there's no goes. If you if you if you start talking shit, then I'll get the I'll get the shit wine. I'll get the shit wine for you. It, it, it's funny. It's funny that you say that because one of the things that I uh, that I said in my um, in my introduction uh, uh, and and I also would like to talk about a little bit with you because um, 
uh, it's something I would like to encourage within uh, the community around this kind of wine is that uh, as we've known each other for an extremely long time and as um, e both of our knowledge changed in wine, um, you being far ahead of me, you constantly were um, offering me stuff and showing me stuff and uh, asking me why I did or didn't like stuff um, and uh, trying to push me a little bit to was that your examine perception? a little bit more and be open to things that I generally might not be uh, without any without any direct judgment or I mean we would argue about stuff but also like you know it was always totally respectful and uh, that's something that um, that I don't like about the um, about the learning wine kind of uh, classical method and the 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 way a lot of people are very very into it uh, because it is about um, about being a smartass or or being better than other people. Um, uh, there, there's a huge amount of that in, uh, in the industry, even between people who are friends, they hang out and party together and love each other. But, uh, in their heads, they're trying to figure out how can I show up this, this, uh, asshole or whatever. I'm, uh, you know, I, I don't mind swearing, but I'm wondering if this uh, podcast could actually get on to Apple Podcasts without an explicit. Fuck, uh, fuck, fuck, fuck. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I don't really, I don't really give a fuck. Um, so, uh, you know, yeah, lots and lots of fucks. Um, yeah. And, and uh, that's, I mean, that's the other side of what you're saying. Like you don't need to, uh, to learn about this to become an asshole, but also. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering how you can be a good sommelier working in a place um, recommending wines, you know, by being an asshole, because the the, the gist of, of this job is to actually um, understand what kitchen is doing. That's one thing, and to have uh, a pairing. But you know, I, I mean, I'm not a big fan of pairing. I, I believe that any good food will work with almost any good wine, more than good, preferably. It doesn't, you know, I can I can do good pairings, but the most the most important thing is is to understand the person that is interested or not interested in drinking in, in, in the way of bringing out a beverage, because, you know, somebody is not just about wine, um, bringing out a beverage, presenting it to them um, and, and hitting the spot or making the, um, the evening worthwhile at least uh, or extra special. And you cannot do that by being uh, an arrogant piece of shit. Jerk. Although some some people uh, seem to be able yeah. to, to 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 do it because I think but that's that, not real pleasure. Because it's I think pleasure in the game, a, yeah. There's an unfortunate. Well, I just meant I just meant that um, there is also a type of uh, of sommelier, for instance, that uh, that I think people uh, enjoy them being kind of uh, bossy yeah. assholes or whatever. But I can be bossy, and I, I can be an asshole. It's just a choice. Of not being so. Yeah, there's a whole uh, there's a whole um, expectation or, uh, or 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 version of that uh, some people are actually looking for. De definitely not the kind of thing that 
I necessarily want to encourage. But then again, I would be completely lying if I didn't say there were times that I was doing that when I had that job too. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Cause it's also job, you know, but, um, it's, it's also, you know, being able to take out the steam once you, you know, you kind of go down a wrong route and you realize, Oh, this might not, you know, we're, we're not that playful here. Um, but in order to understand wines, you need to be, um, a, a sensitive person. Um, and yeah, well, it's the old the old school of wine sommeliering um, that uh, that is very respective of the customer and obsequious. Uh, I would you know, say, I mean, obsequious. young jocks, young jocks. It's always about the young man and manly way of behavior. You know, the the, the young shits. Mm -hmm. You know, that that the know it alls, the uh, that don't know shit really. I mean, but it's it's part of growing up. It's uh, not for everyone, but <laughs> part of growing up to uh, get involved with the subject and to read and read and read. And, um, and, right. and, and you know, this, right. this, this might be the first subject you can talk about in public. Uh, what you're doing as a sommelier is you're talking in public. So you, you, sure. are, you are projecting yourselves into a situation with half-truths. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, we, we, we don't stop learning and uh, we don't stop learning. We never will. We... And, and, and we don't stop wanting to tell people about the things we learned, but, uh, but not necessarily to make them feel dumb just because it's fucking, it's, it's real exciting. Yeah, I think it can be an exchange. I, it can be an exchange. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, that, uh, that, that is uh, uh, one of the things that, uh, that made me take a job doing something related to this in the first place was, um, was that I, I, I do... You and I are very lucky in that we uh, do have something in us that uh, makes us very much want to uh, tell people about stuff that we're excited about and care about. Mm -hmm. um, and if they want to hear about it or they ask questions that make it easy to talk about that thing, then they're going to probably have to tell us to shut up. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, I mean... Uh, that's that's something that I that I quite like about this and want to encourage about this because I want people to be more involved. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, um, I would ask you one one last very very last thing uh, before we I'll maybe wrap this up. Uh, yeah, it's just to um, tell me what your current job or thing that you're planning on at the moment is uh, with relation to this world, if you have one. Um, uh, and uh, and uh, if there's some kind of contact that you have, if you would want people to get in touch with you for anything about this, uh, to say that as well. That's it. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, so I spent my time in, in the summer in, in the vineyards, uh, all the way to vinification and the end of vinification. Well, not bottling, but the rest of like, the yeast going through, which, you know, doesn't take really more than 10, 10 days. Um, and, uh, I'm currently planning on going to Munich in Germany, um, to a fabulous one-star restaurant called Mural. Uh, it's in the... Mural, 
new restaurant in Munich, also new approach to Munich, and I'll um, and I'll take over the wine list over there. So I'm moving from Berlin to Munich. When when is that going to be? Uh, huh. Whenever gastronomy picks up again. When I can work. Uh, there's a plague. <laughs> yeah, if you're looking at this in 10 years, 15 years, 30 years time, and you don't know, this is the COVID year. There is a plague. All right. So I can, there's no restaurants open. Uh, oh, right. Well, uh, I guess uh, we didn't mention this at all, at all during this. Uh, but, you know, obviously um, working in this world but you can you can go and work uh, in vineyards though while there's a plague going on because generally nobody will come in contact with you and uh, it's uh, it's real real chill. I went to visit you actually this past summer and it was great. Uh, so you're going to mural. Uh, that is the plan for whenever that is a possibility. Um, and uh, and do you have a, a and you're going to be the sommelier there the main one, yeah. And uh, do you have a contact that you're willing to give out for people? I'd say Facebook is probably the easiest. Okay. Um, you can write this down, but I'll say my full name. It's Jan Hugel, H-U-G-E-L. You'll find me um, uh, alongside uh, many other wine friends that you have already in your contact list. You'll know it's me. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Um, looking forward to any contact all right cool yeah thanks a bunch Jan uh thanks for being the first one uh and also